Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Church of Roy, a sports drink original podcast. Warning today's show may include adult language. And here are your hosts, Ryan Wilcox and Steve Ewald. Welcome, everybody, to the first post CJ McCollum Church of Roy podcast episode. I am your host, as always, Steve Dewald. And I still have my running mate intact. Um, I guess I'm comparing myself to the Damian Lillard of this podcast, if I don't mind if I do. And uh, uh, I am joined by Brian Wilcox. Brian, how are you doing today? Man, a lot of changes since the last time we talked, mm-hmm. Steve. Mm-hmm. A little bit to talk yeah. about here. I can't wait. Yeah. So where, where do you want to start? I don't start, think there's dude? much to talk about. Um, I don't know. We're going to really struggle getting this one to happen. Yeah. Uh, so... First, I want to preface this with some comments I made in the Adrian Bernisich special episode that ran right after the Norman Powell-Robert Covington trade. I did misspeak a little bit. Uh, I was, I did not quite fully understand uh, Eric Bledsoe's trade av- availability. Um, I was talking about maybe you could trade him closer to the draft. Basically, we get to the end of the season, pass this deadline. You're basically locking him in for that salary next season. That non-guaranteed money resets um, when the new fiscal year starts. That's when those trades become official at the draft. So basically, if the Blazers don't move him now or before the deadline, uh, which is Thursday, uh, they will basically just be using him for cap saving, I would assume. I doubt they carry him into next year at $19 million. So they will probably wave and stretch that $3.9 million that's left. So housekeeping out of the way, obviously the big news today is the CJ McCollum era. The, the Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum era is over in Portland. Uh, CJ McCollum was traded to the new Orleans Pelicans on the, this Tuesday morning that we're recording um, for a modest package. So let's just get into it right now. Uh, CJ McCollum, Tony Snell, Larry Nance Jr. shipped to the Pelicans for Josh Hart, Nikhil Walker-Alexander, Tomas Sadoransky, um, and Didi Lozada. I'm going to have to learn that last name. I just call him Didi. So I haven't haven't said his last name in a while. So um, 
also included as far as draft compensation goes is a 2020 or 22 pick from the the Pelicans that has some protections on it that I really like, which we'll get into in a little bit. And then uh, I believe what's a couple future second round picks as well. So some Mm -hmm. draft assets, but obviously like there's a little little while I'll ask you, what was the most surprising part of this deal outside of CJ McCollum was the guy to get traded. I was a little surprised that they tossed Nance in there. Um, But to me, the whole deal, I, you know, after so many years of wanting to see this trade happen, to see this backcourt broken up, I was actually pretty shocked that it finally did, you know, and I was actually a little more uh, bummed out about it than I thought I'd be. You know, it's like, holy shit, man. Had some really good times with CJ. Invested a lot of time watching him play basketball. Um, But we'll get into that. As far as the trade goes, to me, you almost have to break it up. And to me, it was like the trade was Nance for a first and then CJ for Nikhil Alexander-Walker, your boy Didi, Josh Hart, and uh, the expiring contract of Sideransky. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, I, I know a lot of people are fired up about this one, but I thought they got a decent value. Um, a whole hell of a lot better value than the trade you and Adrian broke down <laughs> earlier, which we might yeah. have to circle back to because I have some yep. thoughts. But I thought it was a pretty good trade. Um, you know, when that first broke that it looked like it was essentially the same package, but Nance wasn't thrown in there. And I was like, ooh, you know, we're, we're I think it was just a tweet, mm-hmm. right, that that came through. And I was like, oh, yeah, this looks this looks good. I like this. Then they threw Nance in there and it kind of came back, came back to earth for me. But I still think Portland got fair value mm-hmm. for him. Where are you at with it? Yeah. So I think obviously the Nance thing was a little surprising, but also at the same time, I didn't really know where Nance fit into where this direction of this team was going, especially this season. Um, yeah. He's, I mean, he's over six, yeah, five, yeah. so what the hell, what the hell are they going to do? Clearly can't do it. Um, nope. I will say I, I am actually a little pleasantly surprised. I, I think me and you both kind of viewed CJ McCollum as more of a, a net zero asset, if not a slightly negative asset for them to pull some positive trade assets here is impressive. I will say I was a little surprised to see Nikhil Alexander Walker in this trade. Um, mainly because this team just traded for Keon Johnson in that Clippers deal. Um, those guys kind of have a redundant frame and where you see them project at the next level. I think Nikhil's more of a guard. Um, I think Keon has a little ability to play the forward spot but we'll see how that pans out see if one of these guys ends up in a trade down the road but i think you just want one of those two guys to hit um obviously you know you had to clear the way with some of the veterans that's why you see like tony snell involved in this trade i mean you just got to make roster space uh, also res right as we went to record um the blazers are going to wave cody zeller um, to make the room. So that's just a net, like you said, just another guy over six, five that has no room to be on this team. So um, yeah, so definitely a short team. I wonder if another deal gets done, but we'll, we'll touch on that at the end of the show. Um, you know, that's, that's the trade. I, I think, like you said, it was a long time coming. We've talked about this over and over again, privately on this podcast. Um, and now that it's here, it's kind of like, Whoa, like it is the end of an era and and I wonder how we're going to look back and remember this Um, I I think one of the first things we talked about today 
um, was, you know, I think CJ McCollum's legacy from my view is going to improve over time. I think so much of his, especially the latter couple of years here was just, this isn't working. We got it. That someone's got to make a trade. You got to move on. And like, you just didn't really get to enjoy what CJ McCollum was as a player. And I think when you look back, we start looking back at the numbers that he put up when he was here and just a, a decade of stability. Yeah. It wasn't always outstanding outside of that Western conference finals run, but you know, mm-hmm. he was a huge part of this franchise. And I mean, I think it's like, it's kind of in that Paxton range, probably going to be a little bit above him as far as how we remember him. Like, you know, Paxton was, you know, in between eras, uh, the early part of the Clyde era, you know, CJ kind of came in a little later after Dame's first run with that core around him and really just was the second fiddle to, to the franchise star, very similar to what Paxton was when he was here. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. It's wild. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. How did it finally happen? Yeah, and, and I know there's a lot of a lot of people upset just because it's very clear that we're not getting the same sort of basketball talent back. Um, I think that that was never really on the table. <laughs> With uh, you know, CJ obviously is an excellent basketball player but when you're you know you're trading contracts and his on-court production hasn't matched his contracts since really he got that big extension so you know there's all that noise around these other markets and I just really struggled to believe that market was super hot um I think other teams involved probably knew this so you know you kind of want I, I think there's a reason Portland went this Pelicans route and I truly do think it was the best trade available and so you know to people that don't think they got a great return I, I really just don't know what you'd expect mm-hmm. from to get from CJ McCollum at that, at that contract. And that's the biggest thing is this isn't an indictment of him as a basketball player. It's really an indictment of that contract and the value of his on-court play relative to what he's getting paid every year. So I think that'll have a little bit to do with how 
fans have viewed him the past few years too, you know, and, and where, when he got that contract, he was kind of on that, kind of on that trajectory to hopefully be an all-star. Mm-hmm. Right. And it didn't quite happen. You know, he had some good, we're going to get into more of the CJ <laughs> yeah. memories, but just to kind of put a bow on that piece of it too. And, and how his contract was a net zero asset maybe, or, you know, possibly a negative, negative assets. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it really just came down to contract figure. And as far as what the Blazers could have been looking for, I mean, obviously the other team you're talking about, I think that was probably serious here, is uh, is the Knicks. And then and they could have went a different direction with the Knicks. They could have gotten better veteran players in the short term, um, but they decided to, you know, go this route where they really just created a bunch of financial flexibility. And the, I mean, I guess one thing I. Uh, I overlooked when I was talking about this trade packages, the Blazers also generated a $21 million trade exception here. And if, and if yep. they use it, you know, that could be very useful in landing a, a useful player. I mean, I, I mean, those are the, that's right in the slot where you can get a very impactful player if you decide to use it. Now we've played the waiting games with TPEs in the past where, you know, you're sitting there waiting for the Blazers to use it. And it's just, this endless cycle and they expire. (laughs) So I I don't want to get my hopes up, but what the Blazers did create here is the opportunity. If someone says, Hey, I want to go play with Damian Lillard. They now have the flexibility to do so with some extra draft capital um, with the financial flexibility they've created here. Now it is jarring to see, because like you said, you're not getting a big return here. Your big return is financial flexibility, which, I think is the big rub for a lot of this fan base is we watched this team really build a bunch of financial flexibility for the 2016 off season. And it just went terrible. So like, I I just wonder if, you know, it's hard to buy in. I mean, it's a new regime. It's the Joe Cronin era. You know, if Joe Cronin continues to have this job going forward, uh, you know, we'll see what he can do with it. Also, if the Blazers do look to go in a different direction, as far as who sits in that chair and who becomes the new president of basketball operations is they're going to have a, basically a clean slate. They're going to have clean books to work with. They're going to have a little extra draft capital. So we'll see, we'll see what, if that attracts somebody, if they decide to go in a different direction from Joe Cronin, but really I think a lot of the fan bases, and we'll talk about this before we kind of circle back to CJ's, I think the yeah. fan base is still pretty upset about the Norman Powell, Robert Covington trade and, and, and some are. of the trades that have come out after it. And I've just kind of like, yeah. I'll, I'll explain my viewpoint still because I'm kind of still in the same camp where I was when we recorded with, with Adrian earlier. So Brian, why, why don't you dive in a little bit to the Norman Powell trade and, and how it's aged in just, you know, a few days. Well, you know, I think you have mentioned this on, on the pod with Adrian earlier, but when you first sent me that trade, I truly thought it was from a joke, a joke, uh, account. I was like, there's no way that's all they got. But really to me, man, it's like, I don't have heartburn about who got moved, but it's just the return. You know, I think that we all knew Rocco was on his way out. I think we all knew that out of the four guards, CJ, Dame, Simons, and Powell, that at least one had to go. And ideally, probably too. Mm-hmm. A little surprised that Powell's one of them, frankly. I thought he would have been a nice fit long term. But for me, man, I mean, 
Roko and Pal are both a couple guys who are extremely malleable, and you could probably fit them on almost any squad. I don't think their contracts are atrocious. Um, and so while I get why Portland did it, even though I have some questions after the CJ trade, I just thought they could have maximized that value a little more. I mean, you say maybe, okay, you break that trade up, similar to the CJ trade, Roko for a second rounder makes sense. Then you're going, okay, so we got Eric Bloso, Justice Winslow, and Keon Johnson for Norman mm-hmm. Powell. And I get that you could try to sell me that Keon Johnson is a first-round draft pick. Like you mentioned, though, as soon as you drive that car off the lot, <laughs> yeah. you know, the value of that goes down. And frankly, they traded their first they traded their first round before Boston, who was their second round pick, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they're you know, I don't think you're. I don't think they traded you a Camry. I don't think that thing's turning into a Maserati anytime no. soon, whether it's off a lot or not. So to me, it's just a poor return for what they traded. I don't know what's out there, but you know, initially I thought it was just a cap clearing move, but then you have the CJ trade that gets them under the gets them under the luxury tax rights. Now it's very clear that Cronin's just wiping the books clean, mm-hmm. right? And so. I've kind of been a little bit back and forth this trade. If they're, you know, if Cronin's deal is just to trade, just to clear the books altogether, then I think he did a good job with this trade probably. But let's just say at the time I had the pitchforks out, dude, I was pissed. Yeah. I think if that, like for me, you know, I talked about on the last part, like I wasn't going to get my hopes up that there was going to be another move and it was going to be pretty ugly. Um, if that was going to be the only move with the deadline. Now I really do think, I mean, there's been some reporting that's come out. Um, John Hollinger had a really extensive piece. It kind of touched on a few things I talked about in the, in the initial reaction to that trade was GMs were just didn't want those years on Norm's contract. Now it's not a terrible contract. Like you said, I don't think it is, but the, the middle-class contract of the NBA, good teams don't give them out. And that's what Norm was. And I, mean, I think Norm's a quality player, but you just don't see teams committing long-term to that cap slot. Like you're either looking to get a couple max guys and supplement them with maybe one $20 million guy, and then you're just filling them in with like vet minimums and, and rookies. Um, Norm just mm-hmm. doesn't fit the plan there. He he does fit what, what the Clippers are trying to do. And they, I mean, they're all in. Um, they have a team that, when healthy and constructed is probably a title contender. So Norm makes sense there. He doesn't make sense for Portland or a lot of other teams. Um, I will concede that as far as Norm goes, like you said, they cleared under the, what would have been the cat, like the luxury tax line with just the CJ trade. Um, it kind of, it makes you wonder if they really had to pull the trigger so fast on the Norman Powell deal. Like does, does his market get better in the off season? Does it get better next deadline? Like those are questions that are legitimate, I think. And I, yeah, I think you got to move on from Rocco. I don't think you're resigning Rocco, but I don't know what exactly yeah. his market really was. Um, <clears throat> Second round picks probably about all you can help yeah. for there, right? But I mean, how do with that trade, Steve? How do you manage to trade the best two players in a five player trade and not even get a first round pick back? Like, you know, clearly Cronin. Either the market was just that cool for Powell and those back in years were, mm-hmm. you know, viewed as such a negative that the market truly wasn't there or they were just doing everything they could to clearly 
wipe the books. That looks like the direction they're going. Or right? let me just pose this crazy theory to you. Maybe somewhere Let's in it. the halls of the Blazers offices down there in Tualatin, there is a plaque of Rafe LaFriends. And it talks about how valuable oh. his cap is and just having that expiring money. And, and, every, and every day... Joe Cronin walks by this Rafe LaFriends plaque and this completely fictional retelling of my, what I imagine the offices look like. And so he sees Eric Bledsoe on this cap sheet. And then he walks by the Rafe LaFriends thing, goes get a drinks of water, walks back, sees a Rafe LaFriends thing again, goes back, gets on his computer, says, fine, we're pulling the trigger on Eric Bledsoe. The ghost of Rafe LaFriends exists. He's, we're finally going to adequately value expiring money. And that's why you go God. and get Eric Bledsoe. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. That's a name I haven't heard for There you go. And uh, we saw how that worked out for us. So, hey, <laughs> hey, for your younger listeners, it didn't work out well. Nothing happened. Hey, Eric Bledsoe, baby. And, and you know what's funny is I was actually talking to er- about Eric Bledsoe to a few of, of my friends that contribute for various New Orleans Pelican sites. And we're just kind of talking about the players that are involved in this trade. And they've obviously had an experience with Eric Bledsoe recently. And, you know, I was talking about, you know, I really hope the Blazers find a way to trade Eric Bledsoe before the deadline passes and put that money to use. And uh, there was a very good point made where if the true goal for the rest of the season is for the Blazers to land a top three pick or a top four pick. Uh, Eric Bledsoe might be just crucial to that plan and keeping him on the roster and making sure he gets on the floor (laughs) might be the best way and the best path for the Blazers to ensure that they lose as many games as possible down the stretch. So I'm, I'm between a rock and a hard place with the Eric Bledsoe value and his part of the trade. There's a little optimism. There's a little optimism, but I, you know, really, I still don't like the trade. I think it was too early. And in my eyes, they really need to do something with Bledsoe to redeem it. I guess if they don't, I just have to put my faith in Cronin that, you know, there's something bigger at work. But I don't know, man. I still look at that trade. And I don't get too – like, I, don't, I really don't feel that great about it. And But we'll it's see hard happens. when you see some of the other – like, I mean, the Karis LeVert deal, for instance. Like, there's just a little bit more return yeah. there. But, like, also – you know, there's not as many years on that contract. I mean, and that I think that's really what it comes down to with what probably impacted Norman Powell's value. And really, you know, when you look at this team overall, not just beyond Norm. So now Norm's gone. Uh, Larry Nance Jr.'s gone. Uh, Robert Covington's gone. You're looking at like every major deal that we talked about for the last couple of years that Neil Shea made. They've all been undone. And he's only been gone for a few months. Like, it's pretty crazy how (laughs) fast, you know, all of it can be undone. And now, you know, like the pillar of his legacy, uh, his true guy that he scouted, drafted, and kept on this roster, CJ McCollum, is now gone as well. So, like, you know, the legacy of Neil O'Shea until they kind of turn the corner and crawl out of this mess will live on. But, like, as far as what his direct fingerprints were on the talent that is still on this roster – it's becoming more and more faint. I mean, Anthony Simons is probably the, the biggest embodiment uh, of his contribution to this roster. But, I mean, we're only a few months out, and, and his the, the statues are coming down quickly uh, around there. So, <laughs> Yeah, Nurk's still around, but who knows there? I mean, he's, that's not certain. My, One of Olshay's better trades of his ten- tenure. My sure. thing with Nurk is, yes, he was part of that trade, but like I think it's very well documented, well reported that the Blazers were purely after a first round pick in that trade. 
and they just ended up with Yusuf Nurkic's filler. And it turned out great um, because they used that first round pick to move up to take Zach Collins, who's also not on this roster. Hey. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to give him credit for getting Nurk either way. Even if do he was I? just getting first. Do I? No. Steve. <laughs> Just so all the listeners know, Steve actually has a Neil O'Shea back tattoo like Roger Stone and Richard Mason. Yep. He he's just very hesitant to tell people about it. He got away back in the day. I got a I got a trade, John so. Crotty neck tattoo that I cover up with turtlenecks too. <laughs> so um all right. He loves O'Shea. Don't, don't let him free. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so I uh you know, we're gonna have plenty of time because this team is not good. It's not gonna play enjoyable basketball. I mean, we're gonna get to watch a few things. Um, that are enjoyable. So we're going to get into like what this roster might look like and what pieces we're watching and what combinations might work down the stretch and what we can see from these young guys. I kind of want to just really hit on CJ McCollum now we've talked about the trade and what he means to both of us as fans of this team and how we'll remember him. And I don't know, Brian, you've kind of you kind of jotted down the list before we started like just kind of run down where he stands on the all-time leaderboard for, for this Blazers franchise, because it is significant. His contributions are significant. Absolutely. And, you know, going through him was kind of speaks to some of the longevity you had with the franchise since it's not like he came out of the gates super hot those first two Mm -hmm. years. Right. But he ended up being 19 games played fourth and field goals made and attempted second and three pointers made and attempted obviously behind his running mate, Dane. Eighth in assists, fifth in points, and tenth in three-point percentage, which, you know, he's behind a bunch of, like, you know, marginal bench guys, too, on that list. If you actually look at that three-point, I think for volume three-point yeah. shooters, he's, he's right there at the top. So, pretty impressive all time, man. Mm-hmm. It really does speak to – it's kind of crazy to look back, and he made it eight and a half years with the franchise. Is that yep. correct? Eight, eight and a half years. Um it, when you're talking about the postseason, 57 games. So that's, uh, I mean, that's not, that's not nothing. So I, and also, I mean, I think too, when you're looking at legacy, he is uh, the the last tie-in to the Idaho Stampede. He was the last player the Blazers actually assigned to the Idaho Stampede and recalled that was still Ooh. on the roster. So that that Deep that time. chapter kind of closes too. Um, I just think. You know, if it was any other era that he was here, he would have been just totally embraced as, you know, the first banana just from how he he conducted himself. Um, I think anybody who interacted with him off the court um, would say that he is one of the nicest, most professional people and just an all around great person. And, and I don't think it's the last we've seen of CJ McCollum in the Northwest. I think you know, through his wineries, through being here for so long, I think he'll be back. He might not be as a player here, but he'll be back. And I think he could be an announcer if the Blazers can can make that offer sweet enough and the national broadcast groups don't come knocking down the road. I mean, that's a long ways away. Mm-hmm. As far as uh, him as a player, you know, kind of give me a couple memories or just one thing that really just kind of stands out um, that you'll always kind of remember CJ McCollum for. He thinking more of a moment or just kind of how he operated as a player? As a yeah, both. Give me both. All right. I think, you know, as far as just CJ, the player in general, that guy was an absolute 
class act on and off the floor, but him never complaining about his role honestly blew my mind. I think it was something that he never got enough credit mm-hmm. for because don't forget, I think it was about 2015, 16-ish. I mean, there were people openly questioning if Dame and CJ were, you know, equals or if I think you had kind of that minority saying, you know, CJ better than Dame. You know, that talk was actually warranted. He was that good. He was, you know, just as young. And he always kind of rode that shotgun to Dame, no matter what. And so he kind of took a lot of shit, too, just from the fan base, just because he was kind of so – his skills were so redundant to a lot of things that Dame did well that he truly wasn't appreciated for the things he absolutely did well. So I think you're perfectly right when you say that, you know, under a different light, maybe different little era, he'd be remembered completely different. But to me, it's just the class he brought and the fact that I think that, at least as far as I know, that guy's just the ultimate teammate, mm-hmm. right? And might have, might have hooked up a couple too many. I mean, he got his shots up. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. But there was never any doubt that he was kind of the number two on this team. And I thought he handled it with, you know, grace and just pure mm-hmm. class. So just as far as kind of a blazer, I thought he was, you know, shining beacon of how you want your guys to mm-hmm. operate. No, and I guess I should, you know, I want to rephrase it a little bit. Like if he was the first, like if Dane wasn't here, he'd be regarded as the first banana. I, I don't even know if it has to be. I think if it was just even a different player, like if it was, you know, if we remove Damian Lillard from the equation and we insert like Anthony Davis, like I think if it was just a pos- different position group that might've been a better player. Totally. Like I think you're viewing yeah. CJ McCollum in a much different light, because like you said, you get away from the redundancy that he had with Damian Lillard, not only his skill set wise, but size wise. And, and their defensive deficiencies were very redundant. So like it, it was, that was a, always kind of the issue that chased CJ McCollum around. As far as what I remember, I'm going to remember him as a player here was just how effortlessly he put dudes into the spin cycle. Like, like he, I I'll never forget that moment against Dirk where like poor Dirk, like at the end of his career, like had no idea where CJ was step back three, boom. And then, you know, he destroyed Dante DiVincenzo just like within the last year, like just completely crossed him over. Like, I mean, he had that way where he could control his pace and really disguise his next move. And, And it was just, it was a lost art. Like that part of the NBA was, going away you know it was either going you're scoring in the paint or you're shooting threes and for cj to be such a craftsman in those spots in a time where that was out of style like i'll always remember that because it was a unique viewing experience i mean the blazers look different because of that whenever you watch them and you know cj was a huge part of that um as far as like an individual kind of like just run that i'll always remember from from cj um I, and I want to hear yours after I go, but mine was really the 2016 postseason, and that's kind of the first run that that Dame and CJ have together. Just the two of them. This is after the roster has been reformed. Lamarcus Aldridge is gone. Um, oh, so yeah, fun. they scrape they scrape by a Clippers team in a very contentious series where the Clippers just mm-hmm. get ravaged by injuries. But, but my I think the series I'll always remember is <laughs> is the five the four one sweep the five game series. Uh, the gentleman sweep the the series against the Golden State Warriors. Um, I think even though it was a loss and it was a four one series loss, I think the Blazers announced their potential 
with Dame and CJ in that series, if you remember, like they led in all those games and, mm-hmm. and they just really were not afraid. Dame and CJ went toe to toe with a, a burgeoning dynasty of the golden state warriors. And he averaged 21.4 points per game. He scored over 20 points in every game except for game one. I mean, he was just dialed in that whole series. And he was chasing down Clay Thompson that whole series. And I just – I'll never forget, like, you know, at that time, CJ's 24, Dame's 25, 26. So I'm thinking, you know, this is just the first postseason for these guys. Like, they're they're not even close to their primes. Like – this team is going to do something. I remember just that excitement around those two players and just the level of fearlessness they played in that series. And like, just some of the, like, if you go back and look at the photos coming out of that series, like just how much that brought Dame and CJ together, you know, I'll never forget that. And I think that'll be kind of my lasting memory when I look back as far as like just a run he had here that I'll remember fondly. What about you, Brian? And that's it's really hard to top. I kind of forgot about that moment, frankly, mm-hmm. because it was truly so long ago and there have been so many, you know, playoff highs and lows. But that, that feeling back then watching those two guys, I, I remember that being like, holy shit, we kind of have something here. And, and this is a, a different, a new era and we feel good about it. Right. And so for me, it's definitely um, 2019 playoffs. I was in the house when CJ carried the boys to the conference finals that with the game seven victory against Denver. Um, man, today I was after the trade happened, like I went back because that instantly hits me as my favorite moment. And I turned on the highlights and it was just like, I felt like I was back in that building, man. Like it was just incredible when you're in the opposing team's facility and your boys just gutting them. I mean, it was like that whole arena was just completely had the nervous murmurs, very similar to what Dame did um, in the last playoff series against the Nuggets when he had the 50-burger, except CJ's, you know, experience, we actually came out on top. So, you know, in that game, he had 41 – he had a 41-point game earlier in the series, but that game he had a 39 on the road to close out the series. And the best part was his block with, like, four minutes left. Um, I mean, I was just going – I was in the actual – very top row. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had a buddy from Oregon in town. Shout out Michael Pasika. We we bought like tickets and literally were like, ah, we'll just sit, we'll sit up a little high. Well, we were, you know, I think Denver's like a mile high. We were like a mile and a half high, mm. like in the very last <laughs> row. But still, it was just like so damn fun, man. And and his block with four minutes. I was probably the loudest I've ever screamed in a basketball game in my life. I was going absolutely bananas. And then he was just so cold down the stretch. Just doing CJ McCollum shit, you know, mid-range pull-ups, fadeaways. And I'll just never forget that game for the rest of my life. And I'll never forget CJ McCollum as a blazer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just moving forward, I mean, he's someone I'm going to root for going forward. Maybe not a whole bunch this season. I'll root for him enough to make sure the, the Clippers or the Pelicans keep that pick, but or it doesn't fall in that top four range, which I mentioned before, the you know, the protections are really good on that that pick it's uh if it lands between five and 14 it goes to the blazers so i will root for cj to be more on the the 14 side of that protection maybe at least when the lottery balls come i hope it lands closer to five um 
I think I think we're going to need to root for this Pelicans team to lose. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know. I think things are kind of starting to come together yeah. over there. I think they've won four in a row. Then you add CJ and Nance. That might be a good, might be a decent. And team. you know, it's going to be kind of just an interesting case study when you put um, CJ next to a player like Brandon Ingram, a guy we both really liked mm-hmm. for the Blazers. We get to see what CJ looks like next to a fully functional. Um, multi-dimensional lanky wing forward player like it'll be interesting to see how he performs in those situations and now obviously the kicker for that team is if they can get zion williamson back on the floor but i don't know man when you dig a little deep into the zion williamson situation it gets dark in a real hurry like i don't i don't expect him to be back anytime soon but i think i think cj and brandon ingram together that's a pretty good little team they got going down there so um, I'm also excited for some of the fan, the diehard fans of that franchise are, are super loyal and they're definitely in a football market. So I'm excited for them to get, you know, a proven player like CJ McCollum and hopefully he's appreciate. I, I think they'll appreciate what he brings to the table, which will be nice. Um, that said, I totally agree. Uh, the, the Pelicans, uh, they are coming to the Moto Center on March 30th. Um, I, I went out and got tickets. I, I haven't gone to a game in a while and uh, I'm going to make it to that one. Cause I, I want to be there um, when they announce CJ. Cause I think that's going to be a big moment. That's going to be one that, you know, I didn't make it to LaMarcus Aldridge's first game back and, and nor did I really want to, I, I had different feelings about LaMarcus <laughs> um, <laughs> CJ is a little different and I'm excited to see him come back. Um, I, I think, the crowd's going to be overwhelmingly positive, and I hope the Blazers do some some form of tribute for him, which I'm sure they will. Um, so, I guess <laughs> you know, let, let's just look one last look. Trade deadline, as you're listening to this, is going to be a day away. Um, we're hearing mm-hmm. through various reports that the Blazers are in talks with the Detroit Pistons about Jeremy Grant, a player that we've talked about on this podcast. Um, you know, there's a couple ways they can get Jeremy Grant. Uh, they have the trade exception. Uh, they have Eric Bledsoe's contract and Eric Bledsoe himself. Um, obviously, when you're trading Eric Bledsoe, you cannot aggregate him with other players in that trade. So you can you can attach draft capital, but you can't attach a, another player. There are kind of ways to work around that. If the cap mechanics work, you just break up the trade into a couple parts. Um, do you expect the Blazers to make another move? And if you, so that's first question. Second question is, does Jeremy Grant do anything for you on the current trajectory of this team or what it's trying to do? <clears throat> I expect the Blazers to make another move. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see one of these guards moved just to try to balance the roster. But <laughs> I've only been saying we need to balance the roster yeah. for 10 years. So why start now? I mean, we'll just keep trotting out six, five, and under yep. dudes. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit more size though, just to play behind Nurkic. I mean, do you really want Trenton Watford, you know, banging up against fives the rest of the year? I, I don't think so, but yeah. I guess we'll see. And, and, you know, like I, we've talked about previously, it uh, could be a rotation of 10 day contract guys. And they, and they find creative ways to fill it because they feel like, you know, one of these guards could potentially pop some of these young guys, but I guess we'll see what happens on that front. I really don't see the Jeremy Grant thing happening um, with one year after this year, mm-hmm. correct on his deal. 
you know, I don't know if Portland's going to want to be, I don't know if they're going to be good by next year. It might be two years, you know, just with the way things are shaking out here. Um, I don't really see it, but, you know, maybe if the Pistons bite on Bledsoe and the New Orleans pick, you look at it. Um, I, I would think it would take more than that, mm-hmm. though. Where are you at with uh, Mr. Grant? So do I expect the Blazers to make another move? Yeah, I do. I don't know if it'll be as big as the previous two we've seen. Like, I just, well, I, I just want to know <laughs> if, it gets, if it gets much, if it gets much bigger than you know who's out. Well, I mean, I think I, um, for instance, like Yusuf Nurkic. Like we're talking about trading another starter. I, I, I think Yusuf Nurkic. I'm getting the impression more and more that he's going to be here, and he's probably they're probably working towards an extension when the season's over. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I think they're going to make a smaller move, like. Ben McLemore doesn't make a ton of sense for this team. I, I think there's other teams that might like him. Now, granted, you know, the return for a Ben McLemore on a minimum contract is, you know, probably a protected second round pick, or or maybe you can attach it to something else. Maybe you can move it. Um, I think yeah. they do something. I don't think they just wave him like, you know, he did Cody Zeller, and it doesn't make sense to really keep him until the end of the year. Um, so I'll be interested to see what they do with him. Um as far as Jeremy Grant goes, I like the idea of Jeremy Grant, you know, a lengthy defender, veteran poise, a guy who can hit the ground running next to Damian Lillard next year. Um, I don't think, you know, if you trade your, your second best player and then you make another move to bring on a bunch of salary for another guy who's probably your second best player, like you made all these moves to create this space. And that's really what you coveted here. Now you're going to fill some of it up with your second best player who I think is very much in the same tier, or maybe a tier below, you know, CJ McCollum. I think you can make an argument either way on where the hierarchy is for those two guys. Um, so I don't think it makes much sense. I, I think if you're the Blazers and you created all this flexibility, you know, let's see what the off season brings. Let, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens when you get to the draft time and the lottery balls fall. And hopefully, you know, God willing, the Blazers get a top three pick with their own pick for being so bad. And then maybe the Pelicans pick falls in like, you know, somewhere in the seven to 12 range. And maybe you can take that flexibility paired with that other pick. And maybe you can find someone who really likes somebody in that range. And then you, you know, maybe you're going after a disgruntled star or, or somebody else. So, you know, as, as much goodwill as I think it would create for some of the fan bases a little worried about what actually came to mm-hmm. Portland, you know, I think it would create goodwill to go and get Jeremy Grant. But I don't know if it's the right move. I think they should just commit, commit to the flexibility, commit to losing this season and, you know, really hope that the lottery balls fall in your favor on, on the lottery night. So. Yeah, I think I kind of took the could we get Jeremy Grant route and you took more of the should we get Jeremy yep. Grant route, which both are extremely fair. Yeah, and I tags. I mean, I you you're completely right to to just wipe this slate clean and then throw another guy on it. And you know, this is kind of the next summer 2016 mm-hmm. for, for this team. I mean, it's let me don't say it. Don't, <laughs> let's hope it's don't, not the don't say that. not the same outcome. But that's it's that was a little different scenario just because of that one year cap spike where all teams kind of had some money to play mm-hmm. with. But Portland hasn't had cap space or flexibility like this in quite some time. I know that people are a little you know doggish on the fact that 
Portland isn't exactly known as a free agent destination, which is a fair point, but calorie flat cap flexibility gives you a lot of other things you can do, right? And lopsided trades and who knows, man, maybe people want to come play with Dame. And, and really there's not a lot of teams like we've seen in recent years. There's not a lot of teams that are really headed into this next off season with a lot of cap flexibility. And that's where it kind of gets interesting. Yep. Um, I mean, we've already heard some of the talk of, you know, the Ben Simmons thing just won't die with Portland because Portland could absorb that contract. If the Sixers just say, you know, we're going to pivot towards chasing James Harden and that's our number one focus. Now, I, I think it might be a bridge too far that Daryl Morey's going for, I want this, this, and this for Ben Simmons to salary dumping him and, and you know, creating flexibility, even if it is a sign, uh, James Harden. I just think that's probably a bridge too far for me to, to connect those dots. Um, I, I just, I think patience from now on, maybe make a couple smaller moves. Um, as far as balancing the roster, you know, yeah, it would be nice to see a big guy, but I think maybe they find a way to rotate, you know, 10 day contracts. If they, if they do make a move and move Ben McLemore, Um, I think you just need to see what you have in some of these young guards. I think you want to really know that Dennis Smith jr. Is, or is not an NBA player. I think you want to know, which (laughs) it's trending in one way right now. (laughs) Has been looking too good. So, uh, and then I think, if you get one of Keon Johnson or Nikhil Alexander Walker to pan out, then you're really talking about maybe some of those trades suddenly look a little better for the Blazers that were made at the deadline. You just need one of those two guys to pop. And, and, and I'll throw Didi in there too. So, um, your boy. Yeah. Uh, that's all I got, Brian. I mean, it's kind of a long show. And we're, like I said, we're going to get more into roster construction, potential rotations. Um, as this season goes on and what we're seeing on the floor with some of these guys, because we are going to tape our eyelids open and we are going to watch some of this team play basketball. Um, Brian, anything before we go, before, uh, before we head out of here on this trade deadline ramp up, even though the Blazers made all their big moves already. Yeah. Kind of, kind of already did their thing. I'm honestly excited about the direction of the team. I know there's, you know, as the fan base is a little, People are a little unsettled right now, but I'm going to tell you, Steve, I'm personally kind of more pleased with this team than I've probably been all year. Uh, we're finally doing something different and, you know, and sucking is going to pay yeah. off. And so, you know, it's a race to the bottom, baby. <laughs> yeah. and We're here for I it. mean, I mean, yes, that's the thing is it's finally going to be something different. And that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's the big thing. And you know, I was not excited about the idea of another Dame CJ season next year. Now it might not be as good, but it's not, it's going to be different. And I think that's something that I think everybody's a little optimistic about. So um, that's it, everybody. Um, We'll be back and we'll have more talks of trades and what this roster is going to do. So I appreciate as always, anybody who stopped by downloaded, listen, there's a lot of options. A lot of people who are reacting to these trades, I truly appreciate that you spent this time with us and uh, we'll be back next week. Talk to you later, Brian. See you, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you've heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy pod and be sure to check out our live show on Spotify Greenroom every Saturday, bright and early at 8 a.m. Pacific.